0: Good morning. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew 19. And All right. Uh, now, if you've, if you've been reading ahead like you're supposed to, um, you know things have not lightened up. Uh, as far as content is concerned, from what we've been talking about the last few weeks, uh, Jesus just doesn't let up. And here in chapter 19, Jesus is being brought into a debate between two factions among the Pharisees regarding the issue of... Of divorce. Okay, so thank you to Jesus. This is what I have to talk about this morning. Uh, it's next in line. Uh, during the engagement, uh, Jesus uh, is you know answering their question regarding divorce, but of course he brings in marriage, divorce, and remarriage into the discussion. And in reality, you know I'm so glad that it was Jesus that was brought into the discussion, regardless of what the motive of the Pharisees you know, what that was for involving him, okay? Um, You know, there are few subjects as important as marriage, okay? And it really is for God's people to know and to understand God's perspective on the subject. Amen? Yeah. Uh, Marriage, as you know from Genesis, it's the first human institution that God established after creation, um, which makes marriage the primary institution and the one that he protects and cherishes the most. So, you know, we want to be thorough in our examination of what Jesus says because his view is, is the correct one. Amen? It's, he's right. No matter what ours is or has been, what our experience has been, he's correct. And, um, and then as I prepared this morning's um, exposition, I, I couldn't help but think of, you know, all of the historical positions for the last 2,000 years on this particular text, uh, including the one in Matthew 6. And then it made me, again, wonder how many of you are bringing one of those different perspectives uh, to this room this morning, which makes, well, what puts me in an interesting position, okay? And uh, I don't necessarily know what you believe about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so for that reason, Uh, I have to be as clear as possible as I, um, we would say, exegete the words of the one that we call Lord, right? Uh, Some of you have heard me teach on uh, these issues before. Uh, You know how I have concluded from the text. Uh, There's others in the room, you have no idea what I'm about to say. Uh, And now some of you might be nervous about what I'm going to say. Uh, Others may be concerned that you will be judged. Uh, for what is going to be said this morning. Uh, some of you are totally clueless and uh, you're going to be blindsided by what I say. Some might be offended. Uh, others might strongly disagree. Uh, my encouragement to you is to listen to the entire thing and, uh, and weigh what I say based upon what Jesus says. Uh, I, I promise you this. Uh, what I do every Sunday, I'm going to teach what the text says and I welcome disagreement and criticism uh, where I might stray from the passage. Now, if by the conclusion of our time together, you find yourself in, you know, a pickle uh, with what Jesus has said uh, and with what's happened in your life, choices you've made, um, please, please don't run away from the fellowship of God's people, okay? Now is the time to, to, to draw in uh, and to receive counsel, to work toward a biblical uh, resolution for all of this. Okay? We want to serve you. We want, we want to help you. And uh, so I want to speak with you if you're troubled, if you're convicted, if you feel like you're in sin. Um, you, you may not be. We'll talk about some of those things. But uh, I want to serve you. Now, as we go through this, I'm not going to make any apologies for being uh, technical, all right, uh, Because when it comes to the issue of marriage, we must be thorough and we have to be as clear as possible. Okay, And uh, so, as always, I'll do my best to be clear with what is difficult. All right, let's stand up and again read what is the Word of God together. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that is regarding forgiveness and the ministry of reconciliation, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not men separate. And They said to him, well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb, And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Lord Jesus, it, it is for us, Lord, to understand your word. You've given it to us. And Lord, as as you prayed to your Father, Father, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. It's not for me to decide. It's not for us <clears throat> as your church, but your word stands, and it stands forever. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go through this, every heart, including mine, would be yielded to the text. And Lord, as I teach, that I would be an extension of that. May I serve the text for the sake of your people. So, Lord, we, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, go ahead and be seated look back to verse 1 and 2 real quick It says now when it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings forgiveness and minister of reconciliation he departed from Galilee that is in the north and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there now this the the comment here or the, the way that that Matthew explains this is very strange <clears throat> He says he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Well, Judea is not beyond the Jordan. Uh, Most scholars say that he went to Judea by way of going beyond the Jordan. So um, I was going to get a map, but I didn't have um, Wi-Fi at camp. So if you were to use your imagination of a map of Israel, you would see Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, Judea in the south. And on the east side of the river... You would see Perea. Okay, so typically, when Jews from Galilee would travel down to Judea for one of the three feasts, uh, they would cross uh, over the Jordan River, east of—I'm uh, sorry, south of the Galilee. They would travel down this the uh, the east side of the Jordan River, and then when they got to Jericho, they would jump back over into Judea. The reason they did this is because they hated Samaritans. Uh, Jews were racist. Uh, in the first century Uh, that's a whole nother issue we can talk about another time Uh, so they would avoid the Samaritans so they wouldn't be somehow made unclean or whatever they thought and uh, so Jesus on this journey he decided to take that route rather than going straight through Samaria which he had done before more than once because he was not racist amen and he was trying to reach Samaritans, but he had ministry to do with the the Jews from Galilee, and so he used that route to be with them so that he could minister. And then he comes to um, Jericho, crosses over, and then, of course, he has to make his way up that steep incline to Jerusalem in the mountains. But it's probably there uh, after, of course, he's crossed over the Jordan River into Judean territory that he's approached by our favorite people in the Bible, the Pharisees. And it says the Pharisees also came to him and they're testing him. That's trying to trap him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Okay, now I think the statement is cut and dry. It's very clear. But for some people, uh, they want to... My opinion is they want to smuggle things into the text and then make it mean something else. So, before we rush into this, it's important that we get an answer to a question because the answer to this question reveals what question it is that Jesus is answering. Okay, and Jesus' answer to the question establishes forever God's view of marriage, divorce, and remarriage for his people. Okay, the question that we must answer first is this. What did the Pharisees mean by the word wife? Some of you are thinking, he probably means wife, okay? What does he mean by the word wife? And, and then, once we answer that question, we'll look at the historical context along with the, the internal evidence from the scriptures themselves. So what are the Pharisees asking Jesus? What do they mean by the word wife? So listen carefully. <clears throat> are they talking about a woman who is simply betrothed to be married, like an engagement, but has not yet ratified the marriage covenant? Or are they asking about a woman who has consummated her marriage by way of the marriage covenant and has become one flesh with her husband? So here's the issue. In ancient Israel, before a couple ratified their marriage by way of a covenant, they would enter into a betrothal period. Okay? In some ways, but certainly not in all ways, uh, similar to the, the, our engagement period in our culture. Okay? The betrothal period was initiated after the father of the woman and the father of the, 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 the man came to an agreement. Okay? There was exchanging of things, okay? uh, like dowry. This agreement would form actually a legal contract concerning the future marriage of their children. And during this period, the bride would remain in her father's house until the day of the wedding, okay? And on the wedding day, of course, there's a marriage that would consummate the marriage by covenant, okay? Now, they were legally married during their engagement or their betrothal period, but practically they were single, just not legally available to anyone else. After the covenant was established on their wedding day, the bride would then go and she would live with her husband, and the two would be, we might say, fully married, and they would be one flesh. You follow so far? So when the Pharisees asked Jesus this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason, are they referring to a wife who is betrothed, engaged, or a wife who has become one flesh with her husband through the marriage covenant? Okay? In the context, a discussion about, or I'm sorry, is the context, a discussion about dissolving an actual marriage or the betrothal contract. Let me insert these concepts into the question for clarity. Are they saying is it lawful for a man to divorce his fiance for just any reason? Is that what they're asking? Or is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife by covenant for just any reason? You didn't had no idea that people could complicate things so much, did you? What's happening here? What which one are they asking? Now, those who insist that the Pharisees are talking about a betrothed woman, of course, they by necessity, they have to provide arguments, but none of them are textual, meaning their arguments do not actually come from what Jesus says here in Matthew 19. One argument they provide is an argument from silence. An argument from silence. When Mark and Luke, when they tell this same story, they do not mention what we have called the exception clause from verse 9, saying that divorce is only permissible where there is sexual unfaithfulness by one of the parties. Mark and Luke are silent. They don't mention the clause, which according to the betrothal argument is evidence that Jesus was not actually providing an exception for divorce for those who are fully married, but divorce only among those who are betrothed in Jewish tradition. They say that Matthew wrote to Jews only, while Mark and Luke wrote to Gentiles. Gentiles did not have the Jewish tradition of betrothal. So the exception clause would make no sense to them. It goes the argument, and so Mark and Luke don't mention it. They say that since Jesus was referring to the betrothal period, it would only make sense to provide that exception for the Jews, for the betrothal thing, and uh, so it doesn't actually apply anyplace else. Now, just a word of caution about arguments from silence. Okay? First, they should never be a primary argument, but they should be supporting evidence for the primary argument. Okay? Arguments from silence, they need lots of support because they lack so much certainty. They lack weight. As a friend of mine says, if I accused you of murder simply because you failed to, to deny that you were a murderer, it would not be sufficient evidence to convict you of murder nor would it be just. So if you failed to deny being a murderer, and that was enough evidence to prove that you were a murderer, how would you feel about that? Well, you never mentioned it, so you must be a murderer. So goes the argument from silence. Silence does not make the case, but with other supporting evidence, it can actually help strengthen a case. It may, but not necessarily. So we have to be careful when we rely heavily on things like that. And besides, Mark mentioned something that Matthew is silent about. Does the argument go both ways? Does Matthew's silence negate what Mark said? Haven't found anybody that makes that case before. Okay. No, it just means that one mentioned it, while the other took it for granted because of the overall teaching in the Old Testament, which we'll come back to. Okay. The betrothal camp also, <clears throat> they bring in other texts that do not fit the primary context of Matthew 19. And one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, who is typically one of the most careful exegetes of Scripture, fails to exegete the text itself, and he, instead he smuggles in an Old Testament passage that has to do with betrothal okay, from Deuteronomy 22. But smuggling that passage into the discussion here between Jesus and the Pharisees is unwarranted because Deuteronomy 22 is not the point of contention. Deuteronomy 24 is, which has nothing to do with betrothal, but actual marriage, where the divorced woman is removed from the husband's house. Betrothed women do not live with their husbands. Understand? Okay. Yeah. There are other arguments in favor of the betrothal period, uh, but they get less convincing as you go. Okay. Another uh, favorite Bible teacher of mine. <clears throat> he doesn't even refer to the betrothal period because it's clearly not in the text of Matthew chapter 19. So he just treats the text for what it says. I don't know that I have that liberty anymore because of being barraged with so many different positions from so many different people, okay? So I have, I, I have the pleasure of addressing all of you at one time, okay? So please don't throw anything if you disagree. Come just, come talk to me so let's look at what goes down in the text itself, and we'll see what it yields. What we'll do is we'll address the historical context of the question, uh, that is, where did the question come from, and then we'll look at Jesus' words to answer it. So first, uh, the historical context. You see, at this time, there were two schools or camps within the, the Pharisaical community. Even the Pharisees couldn't agree on everything, okay? Okay. One was from a rabbi named Hillel, and the other was Shammai. Hillel and his students argued that a man could divorce his wife for minor infractions like burning dinner, or if your neighbors could hear her voice when she was talking in your house. Okay? Those are actual documentation uh, from that time period. Okay? So ladies, keep it down a little bit. Okay? <laughs> Uh, the great Jewish historian that so many people respect, Josephus, he was actually in that camp. Okay? He was a Pharisee. He was also a divorced man who had divorced his wife for whatever reason. Okay? Now, Shammai, this other rabbi of another camp, held the position that a man could only divorce his wife for gross indecency, though not necessarily adultery. Now, he was certainly more strict than Hillel, but how strict isn't completely certain. You know, what is gross, uh, you know, indecency? Okay. Some people say that he actually taught divorce for the same reason as Jesus. Uh, some scholars disagree with that. Who cares, really? Um, the Pharisees, though, that came to Jesus with their question were probably from Hillel. Okay. Now, their motive, though, was not to, you know, Jesus, were, we're trying to understand your position on this. They didn't want clarity from him. They wanted to harm his ministry and his reputation, okay? You see, if he sides with Halal, he will alienate all of those Pharisees from Shammai, and he would certainly hurt any sensible woman, especially those that had come to respect and love him, right? Jesus said, Halal. All the women in his group would be like, what? okay. If he sided with Shammai, it would make his relationship with Hillel and his school worse. Okay? So there's risk either way. And they did this before to Jesus. But Jesus, he knows how to deal with these people. Uh, I kind of feel like I feel Jesus' pain this morning. I risk offending a variety of camps right now. So here's Jesus' response to the question. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? That, was, that puts the knife in. Because these are the, the scholars you know, of the Old Testament. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Question mark. Okay. So to answer the question, uh, Jesus, he turns their attention to Genesis 1.27 and then Genesis 2.24. God made two genders male and female why it says in the text in order to or for the purpose of joining them together into one flesh jesus is saying god created us to be married god created us to be married now are there exceptions to this yes but we'll talk about that at the very end okay and because god created us to be married jesus concludes this way so then They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, you think that you were joined together by you. No. The covenant of marriage, when you come together, God performs something in that. He is the one that joins you as one flesh before him. So to answer their question, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason, Jesus responds with, no, okay, no, the married couple is no longer two, but one, and because it is God who has made them one flesh, with the intent of their oneness being permanent, it is not for a man or a woman to dissolve or separate what God has done. So the answer, of course, the quick answer is no, no. Notice also that Jesus' answer tells us what the Pharisees meant by the word wife. Jesus' response refers to a man and a woman who have departed from their parents. They were joined as one flesh by God. Is he referring to betrothal? No, he's referring to covenant marriage. Okay? So this means that the Pharisees were not asking about betrothal. If the Pharisees were asking about a betrothed woman, And Jesus gave an answer referring to covenant marriage. He failed to answer the question, which I think is a silly thing to assume. Uh, Maybe he didn't understand the question. That's really dumb to assume, okay? He knows exactly what's going on. So now because, of course, Jesus didn't answer the question in their favor, the interrogation continued. They said to him, why then did Moses, see, by by dropping Moses' name, They think final authority, final authority. So then they said, and why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Well, first thing, Moses did not command them to give a certificate of divorce. Okay, But the implication in the passage is that if they were to divorce their wives, a certificate of divorce was a formal or customary procedure that should be followed. But in the Hebrew, there's no command. There's no imperative there. The imperative goes later, but it's not about the certificate. Be that as it may, there's some, uh, there is something in the Deuteronomy 24.1 passage that's essential to our discussion. Okay? In Deuteronomy 24, after the certificate of divorce had been given to the woman, she departed from her husband's house. What have we said about betrothed women? We're not talking about betrothed women. These guys are appealing to a text in Deuteronomy, about marriage, about covenant marriage, not about the betrothal period. Okay, How does Jesus respond to this? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. So he he corrects their grammar, their understanding of the text. But from the beginning, it was not so. So apparently... The hardness of heart among the men of Israel that existed 1,400 years earlier has not changed at all in Israel. And you know what? hasn't changed today. hasn't changed today, okay? And not just among men. Now, before we, we address why Moses permitted this, let's keep answering our original question. Because, see, no one has changed the subject, right? Jesus is still using the word wife to mean wife by covenant, who is one flesh with her husband, okay? And regardless of what Moses permitted in the law, this is not what God intended when he instituted marriage in the beginning when he created man. This is an extremely important issue. Okay? We'll address it more fully later. Uh, this, is, this is it. Jesus appealed to Genesis 1 through 2 as having final authority, even greater authority than the Torah, which is the law of God given to Moses for the people of Israel. He says, I don't care what Moses said. What I did in the beginning stands above that, stands above that. That happens multiple times in the New Testament when Jesus and the apostles want to settle a matter finally. They don't quote the law. They quote Genesis chapter one through three. Very interesting. We'll talk about that later. Okay. So marriage was not some disposable institution. So Jesus concludes his case this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Okay, that is the passage of contention, really, isn't it? And there's a lot in the text here. Okay. Now, just to begin with, has anybody changed the subject? Has anybody introduced new terms? No, we're still talking about, well, we've introduced a new term, but I mean in in the context of what the wife is. Everything is still the same. We're talking about covenant marriage. Can a man divorce his covenant wife for just any reason? No, you can't for just any reason. There's only one reason for divorce, and that is sexual immorality. In other words, biblically, there's only one ground for divorce, one thing that permits a divorce from a spouse by covenant, and that is sexual immorality. This is what is called the the exception clause. It's only permissible in this context. Now we have another thing that has to be answered. What does Jesus mean by sexually immoral? The Greek word is porneia. Now the context, when it does not clarify what it means specifically, the term has to be taken in its broadest sense to mean any kind of sex or sexual behavior that is outside of the marriage, meaning with someone that is not your spouse by covenant. In other words, there's only one person you should be having sex with or behaving sexually with, and that's your spouse. All all sexual behavior that is not with one's spouse by covenant falls into the category of porneia, sexual morality. Can I say that any clearer? Okay, I guess I could go on. And somebody said, are you really going to say that word one more time in the church? (laughs) Now, um, among those that have various positions... uh, (laughs) They, they do all kinds of uh, gymnastics with the Greek words and grammar to either disprove the exception clause or force the betrothed woman into the text. Uh, I like what D.A. Carson says about this uh, in his commentary on this section of Scripture. He says, all of it is impossible Greek. It's impossible Greek. Um, I tend to agree with him on that. Okay. The, the plain reading of the text allows for divorce under one circumstance, and that is for porneia, sexual morality. So why then would Mark and Luke be silent? Why would they not mention the, the exception clause? Well, I believe because it, it, can, it can go without saying. Even Rabbi Hillel knew this much. Everyone knew that if your wife by covenant was sexually unfaithful, you could divorce her. The question from Hillel and Shammai dealt with whether or not there were lesser sins that would allow for divorce. You get it? That was what this was all about. When Jesus provided the exception clause, he wasn't actually saying anything new. He wasn't establishing a new policy for his people. He's actually restating what the the law of Moses essentially said, but in light of Israel's current political situation with Rome. Look, the law of Moses commanded, and it is a command, not a suggestion, that if a married person was sexually unfaithful to their spouse, they were to be executed. Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two. The offender was punished for the violation of the covenant, which released the spouse from the marriage covenant, and then they were freed to marry another. The sexually unfaithful party was separated from their spouse by death, which essentially accomplishes the same thing as divorce. Here's the problem. It's just way more effective, right? But by the first century, Israel had been conquered by Rome and they were under Roman rule, and Rome had deprived Israel of the right to execute their own people for violations of the law of Moses. Now, it didn't stop them from doing it in a, in a back alley if they could get away with it, but the legal right to do it had been taken from them. Been taken from them. So, where did this leave a spouse? who was married to a sexually unfaithful person in this new era under Roman rule. Were they forced to remain with their spouse because the Jews could not follow the Mosaic system and dispose of a sexually immoral person? Was the sexually immoral person off the hook for their sin, having no punishment to fear? What protection was there for the spouse who was faithful to the covenant? Now that Rome had come, was the offender to be protected? and their spouse punished because they had to remain married to their sexually unfaithful spouse? Because Rome came in, does the law of Moses go the other way? We punish the innocent and we protect the guilty? Does that seem to represent the heart of God? I don't think so. The the law was prescribed for Israel for a number of reasons. It 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 was prescribed to protect the spouse who was faithful to the covenant. It was to preserve the sanctity of God's covenant people and to ensure that God was honored and glorified in the context of marriage. not just because Rome had diminished Israel's authority and removed their ability to execute the offender did not re- remove God's concern and his protection for those who were loyal to the covenant of marriage. Divorce essentially accomplishes the same thing as death, whether death occurred by natural causes or by means of the Jews upholding the law. So by way of death or divorce, the marriage covenant is dissolved. And the faithful party is free from their unfaithful spouse and they're free to remarry, okay? So by way of death or divorce, the unfaithful party is punished, okay? Through divorce, they lose all their covenant rights, they're shunned by the community of believers and they remain under divine chastisement. So if you sin against your spouse in that way and they divorce you, the church of Calvary Chapel will get involved if you're sexually unfaithful to your spouse, and if your spouse chooses, they don't have to divorce you. But if they choose to, and the unfaithful one is unrepentant, we will exclude you from the fellowship. Okay? That's what we'll do. We're commanded to do that. We've gone over all that, haven't we? Okay. Now, divorce was never God's intention in the beginning when he created man. But in the beginning, there was no sin. In a world without sin, there's, there was no reason to prescribe laws against unfaithfulness to the marriage covenant. But after we brought sin into the world, laws were eventually instituted and consequences were prescribed. Sin in the world, you have to understand, does not change God's will for marriage as a permanent institution, but exceptions were made to punish the offender and to protect the faithful. You understand? Let's finish this verse because it's loaded with a whole bunch more stuff. Jesus continues by saying that if a man divorces his wife for reasons other than porneia, and then marries another, he commits adultery. Notice how he makes a distinction between porneia, sexual morality, and adultery, okay? The Greek word for adultery is moikao, if I'm saying that correct. Here in this context, adultery is committed when a man who divorced his wife remarries. Of course, he didn't divorce her for biblical reasons, and then he remarries, he commits adultery. His divorce, uh, he divorced his wife, for reasons other than sexual morality, and then he marries someone else. So in this context, where divorce was not permissible, and the man remarried, he commits adultery. Now, we, think, we typically think of adultery when someone is unfaithful to their spouse. But here, in the words of Jesus, adultery occurs when someone marries another person when they should still be married to their former spouse. You see that in the text? In the scriptures, though, as we look at all of them, especially in the New Testament, there's some overlap with adultery and Okay, Now, especially today, when we say somebody committed adultery, we we know what people meant. But for clarity, when I'm talking about it theologically, I say pornea, because I don't want any confusion. They were sexually immoral, unfaithful to their spouse. Okay, Jesus continues. If someone marries another who was divorced for reasons other than sexual morality, they too commit adultery. So if the wife was put away for reasons other than pornea and a man marries her, that man commits adultery. You think God is trying to protect marriage? He's trying to keep it sacred? It's just not something we do willy-nilly. It's not something we go in and out of. Okay? The divorced person should still be married to their previous spouse. And so if they remarry, I'm sorry, if they marry that divorced person, they commit adultery. This particular divorced person, Jesus is saying, is not a candidate for remarriage, not at this time. All right, so now there's just a number of questions that arise from this that also need answered. Here's an important one. What if someone divorced their spouse because their spouse was sexually immoral? Can they remarry without committing adultery? Because Jesus says he only talks about where there's no pornea, but what if there is? Can you, as the faithful one to the covenant, now divorced, remarry? Yes. Yes. Yes, there's nothing in Scripture that forbids any of that. But you must marry a believer who is also a candidate for marriage or a candidate for remarriage. Okay? We'll talk about that uh, next Sunday a little more. Okay? The restrictions for remarriage are for those who have divorced and should actually still be married. Another question. What if I divorced my spouse for reasons other than fornication and I remarried? Am I an adulterer or an adulteress? Maybe, maybe not. I would have to hear the circumstances. And that's why I say, please don't flee from the church as if we're going to stone you, okay? Please come talk to me. Another, what if my spouse divorced me for reasons other than fornication and I've remarried? Am I an adulterer or an adulteress? Maybe, maybe not. I have to hear the circumstances. It actually depends on a number of things, but one of those is the state of your salvation and, the, and that of your spouse when you were divorced and remarried. And even if you did remarry, when you should not have, does that mean that there's no forgiveness for you? We need to talk, okay? It doesn't mean for sure that you should wear a a scarlet letter A on your clothing until you die, or that you could never possibly be a candidate for marriage again. Some people believe that uh, they're destined to be like the Hulk who just has to wander the earth alone, okay? And you know, the attitude in some churches has been You know, God may forgive you, but we will not, okay? Um, That's not the case here when people repent, understand? And that's why I want to talk with you. Paul said, you know, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, tempted to sin. Now, Paul did not say, you know, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, but divorce or remarriage, You who are spiritual, restore them. No, this is for any, what? Any trespass, okay? Those who will not try and restore people through repentance are not spiritual. They are self-righteous and they are unloving. They're unlike Jesus who seeks to restore the worst of humanity and he proved it by shedding his blood for them, right? Don't forget what Jesus said and I did not speak with will this morning in preparation. Because uh, he mentions this whole thing. Jesus said, "He who denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven." Matthew 10:33. Well, Peter didn't just deny Jesus before men on one occasion. He denied Jesus before men on three occasions to a little girl. Peter, you guys, was overtaken in a grave trespass. But Jesus, who was spiritual, restored Peter in a spirit of gentleness, right? If you're not in the business of restoring sinners, even divorced and remarried sinners, uh, you may be the greater sinner, quite honestly. Okay? Pride and self-righteousness are not attributes of God's people. Uh, those are actually the sins of Satan. I'm pretty sure we should stay away from that stuff. Amen? Okay? Uh, we should be humble and merciful. I want to say this one more time before we move on. Please understand, Jesus was not saying that divorce is required when one person in the marriage is unfaithful. He didn't require it, okay? Um, he loves to restore people even through grave sin. And uh, we've walked with couples through this before and uh, things are beautiful now, uh, but it was only through repentance that it happened. And um, it's permissible, but it's not, it's not required. And if you've gone through that with your spouse and you've repented and you have forgiven them, uh, you must not revisit that with them again. You understand? Because that's not the nature of forgiveness. Let me conclude here. This is so crazy. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. <laughs> Back to our original question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus said, no, but only for fornication. And so the disciple said, if that is the case of the man with his wife, covenant wife, It is better not to marry. They're not thinking of betrothal. You know, it's like, we'll we'll just not get betrothed. We'll just go straight to, to marriage. That's not what they're saying, are they? So please get this betrothal business out of your mind if you have it, okay? Talking about marriage. Be better not to enter into the marriage covenant. So clearly, because the only permissible reason for divorce is porneia, you're stuck. And so they're like, it'd just be better to be single, I hope that Peter, who was married, <laughs> did not stick his foot in his mouth that time. But sadly, it appears that the disciples held the position of Halel. Jesus has got a lot of work to do with these boys, and the crucifixion is right around the corner.? Okay? It's just amazing. OK? Yeah. OK, so we've looked at a lot today. Um, I know that there are a number of people in this church who are divorced. Okay, for one reason or another, most have gotten remarried and you might be concerned about where you stand with all this. Are, are you still in sin or are you in the clear? Uh, were you? Are you a candidate for remarriage or are you the Hulk? Are you an adulterer or an adulteress? Maybe, maybe not. Okay? I don't know, but for your sake, for the sake of your conscience, for the sake of the glory of God, this all has to be cleared up. It all has to be cleared up. And if you're not in the clear, and you know you're not in the clear, can we please work together to that end, please? I want to restore you. I want to see your life, you know, transformed through repentance. Yeah. Lastly, you may be in a marriage, or you may have been in a marriage where there was various kinds of abuse, okay? Jesus doesn't actually mention that here, okay? Others have been abandoned by a spouse. That hasn't been mentioned here. Here, But we can address those all in 1 Corinthians 7 in light of Matthew 18. And I need to do that next Sunday. Okay? Our context is not entirely the same context as Matthew 19. Okay? And I'll explain that next week. Okay? Now, you know, if you need prayer in this regard or for anything at all, uh, if you need counsel, uh, the elders and I will be up front here uh, along with a few others like Gabe and Janessa and, and Mike and Margaret Strobach, uh, Joe and Lisa Vogtberg, uh, Pastor Isaac is here as well. Um, we want to minister to you. If it's if it's too public for you to come forward and and talk and pray, that's fine. Please get in touch with me, one of them, uh, and we can meet in a, a quiet, private place. Um, yeah. And and if you if you think that we can solve all your marriage problems this morning by coming up here, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, but the truth is, we love you. We want to serve you. And um, so, yeah, you got it? I love you guys. I love you guys. And I, I want to do what I can to, um, to see your life transform for the glory of God. Okay?